All right. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey. What? You said you had something exciting to say. Oh, I don't know if I... Did I tell you guys last week that I I got contacted? I think I did. I got contacted by a a guy that wants to give me a... Or at least get me involved with a robot. He wants to tell you about something. Did I mention that? You said something about a robot. Well, I talked about wanting to make a robot. And so somebody's listening. A guy named Greg's listening. And and Greg wrote to me. And he works at a a really big company that makes robots. Like fifth arm robot. Fifth axis arm robots. That like weld cars. He works at like... He says we're not a startup. We're like a huge giant company. And he wants to see if I can, he wants me, like he's taking me like to the puppy store. He's going to bring me to the puppy store. He's going to see if there's a puppy I like. And I might be able to go home with that puppy. So I'm Except going. it's a robot arm. <laughs> it's a robot arm. So I'm going next week to go look at a robot arm. And he wants, he wants to use me as part of his, his research and development in the way that he wants to see if there's any sort of seamless activity that I could teach the robot to do. And the first thing I thought of was sharpen knives. So I'm going to see if I can get this robot to sharpen knives. Oh, man. Wow. On a belt grinder. And <laughs> just go, thank you. Thank you, robot. This is one of those manufacturing robot arms, right? Yes. Which are, yes. they can be dangerous because nothing stops them, yes. right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like that, yes. Wow. Sharpening <laughs> knives. So you're, so you're just going to give it knives. Like, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Perfect. See these pile of knives? Sharpen them and put them over there. <laughs> I want to see now, if that's now, possible. Okay, here's what you need to do, though. You have yeah. to ask really nicely because you're teaching a robot to sharpen knives. So if you're mean to it, <laughs> when it gets tired of sharpening knives, yeah, yeah you need to be nice. It's going to be like, I want to make my own videos. Tired of sharpening knives. <laughs> <laughs> I want a YouTube channel. So I'm going to meet him Friday. So I'm excited. So okay, well, hang on, hang on, hang yeah. on. That is exciting. <clears throat> But you just gave me an idea. Yeah. You could also teach the robot to create YouTube channels and subscribe to you and watch your videos. And tell all of and his that's robot like, friends. That's <laughs> Well, yeah. But it could just like sit over in the corner and create accounts and watch videos all day long. And then like your your AdSense just goes through the roof. Anyway. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. Oh, wait. We'll, we'll, let's, Brandon, clip that whole part out because that's actually a good idea. Joe. <laughs> no, I'm going to go see uh, He's in Connecticut, and uh, honestly, I can't remember the name of the company off the top of my head, but it's like, I don't know, it seems like the GM of robot companies. And I'm going to go meet them, and he wants to try and research the concept of like seamlessly interacting with a robot. Huh. Now, I don't know. Oh. I mean, again, it's just, a, as far as I could tell, it's going to be an arm attached to a thing, but I'm going to learn all about it. He says, uh, he, goes, he goes, if nothing else works out, he's going to have great vlog material, at the very least. Mm. So. Do you have a that rough ballpark on what one of those things cost? Uh, it, it's got to be a lot of money. Like $100,000, right? Like I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, you know, but that being said, a fan recently emailed me a, an auction for someplace in uh, Detroit or uh, Midwest, and like 10 of those robot arms were for sale, and every one of them was starting at $100, hmm. you know, in an auction. And because of the cumbersome nature of them, I'm sure they probably didn't sell for more than, you know, a few hundred dollars each. And when I was at the Baltimore Museum of Industry, they had one on display, and it was great. They had like the whole entire computer system and everything for it. And it was probably about 25 years old, and it was really cool to see it up close. It did some sort of welding thing at some factory nearby there, and it was retired. But it was great to see one up close. This was a big one, the one I saw up close. Now, the one he might offer me could be maybe as big as my own arm. I don't know. Yeah. You have no idea, but uh, I'll find that all out by the next 
podcast. So it's exciting. That is exciting. That's exciting. crazy. Yeah. He uh, he wrote to me. Wrote me a note. If I ever showed you guys the chain, maybe in the after show, I'll find the email. But he said he goes, "Hey, I'm so ho- I hope this isn't out of line. I don't know. You know, he's like, I don't know the procedure to get in touch with you, big YouTube celebrities." <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, "I'm offering you, uh, I'm offering you the opportunity to come and see a robot. Maybe you take one home. I'm not sure. You know how it might work out." And uh, I immediately answered him back. He's like, "I don't know if you'll ever read this. You know, a lot of guys thought the email with. I don't know if you'll ever read this." And I answered back with one of those like uh, emoji memes of me, like that looks like me, the cartoon of right. me, with like the one where you're like doing the big thumbs up. <laughs> and I said, yes, I want a robot. And then <laughs> and every time he answered me back, I just wrote back, yes, I want a robot. <laughs> like I was a six-year-old kid. Huh. <laughs> he got the joke right away and he was playing along with me. We had a laugh. So, so. sometimes oh. when we text each other, oh. Jimmy's only response will be one of the Jimmy Duressa cartoony memes and it'll have a thumbs up or dancing or doing something in a banana costume his oh, yeah. uh, just so everybody knows his his image on when he comes up on my phone is his face on a banana costume so perfect cuz he sent it one time and he put it out there so <laughs> those things are so stupid and everybody uses them but I still they still make me laugh cuz I don't, Once in I a while, I don't know of anybody else that uses them other than you. But you know, <laughs> hey, it's it's you know, well, you got to be in the fifty club because we're still trying to stay young. Ah, uh, gotcha, gotcha. I think that's what it is. But it's funny because sometimes people send and it doesn't really look exactly like them. If you do a bit emoji, you have to go through a whole series of, you know, what kind of eyebrows. You, it's like doing a composite for like you know, a witness. You know, when you witness a crime and you're trying to figure out what the guy looks like, you go through a series of eyebrows, of eyes, cheekbones, and and then the thing makes a cartoon of you. And sometimes people send me one, and I'm like, no, it doesn't really look like you. <laughs> no, no. But the one of me looks like me from about 10 years ago when I had a dark beard and I was a little bit skinnier. So that's why I like it. Reminds me of the old Jimmy. <laughs> Classic director. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, um, uh, how's the, the weight loss challenge thing going? We haven't talked about that in a while. Oh, wow. You know, I got down about 22 pounds, 23 pounds, and I was feeling good. And I was, I'm glad you brought this up because I was going to try and figure out a way to talk about this. Um, last week at the blacksmith class, I could always like isolate that moment where everything just goes off the rails. And at the blacksmith class, I couldn't stop snacking because there was so much food around. And I got into this like snack mode where like every three minutes I needed to satiate myself with something like a piece of this or a piece of that. And I kept going and grabbing until I had candy out and chips and all kinds of stuff for everybody to always at least feel snacky. And that, that kind of screwed that it screwed me up. And this weekend when I was I was just in Chicago for the weekend and same thing, there was food all around and I was <clears throat> I kept finding myself being really snacky. And today I said to myself in the morning, I have to get back on track. I didn't put on twenty pounds. I mean I probably put on like another two pounds. So I'm going back in the other direction. But and I have not weighed myself because I was fearful of that like going in the wrong direction thing. So I I, I have to cut my snackiness and that's when I see it happening, when I start getting snacky. When I was down to like 170 pounds years ago, 10 years ago, and I was super slim and I was working out all the time, then I got a TV show deal in 2009. And every day I was on the set of this TV show that I did for HGTV. And every day there was food around. And that's, that was that, I can isolate that moment. And then within a few months I cut my finger. And then that's when I just like turned into just regular chubby Jimmy. And it would it's all because I get snacky. So if I can offer any advice, just try and isolate that moment when you start getting snacky. 
and it and it it's hmm. it's it's like a nervous thing. It's not necessarily that I'm super hungry all the time. It's just like I feel like I'm like anxious about something, so I have to go and like get eat a candy bar. Or, you know, I, I bought toothpaste in the in the hotel, and I got two candy bars. And it's it's just it's a weird thing. It's just a weird psychological thing. I got to try and stay on it. Hmm. Well, but, at least you're aware of it. I mean, that, that yeah. counts for a lot. Being aware of when Absolutely. that is, and yeah. you know. So this, you know, I'm going to have a protein shake after we get together and uh, try and start a fresh week and not be snacky. Now there's no food around. Like all the food is gone. Everything left over from the class is gone. So there was tons of leftovers. We had this place catered. So there was tons of food in the refrigerator for a few days. The chickens get it. Once the chickens get it, that's that's the end of it. Chickens <laughs> will eat anything, by the way. You know that? No, I didn't know that. They will eat anything. They don't care how moldy it is. What's wrong with it? They'll eat it. Do they che- eat chicken? They will. They absolutely will. They'll eat their own eggs. They eat everything. I mean, sometimes we don't want them to eat rotten food. They find it in the garbage. They'll peck the garbage bags open if there's too many and they won't fit inside the bin. They're animals. That sounds like a lot of fun. I totally want chickens now. <laughs> no, it's good because they, you just like throw it in the like You know, any leftover, we have a big pot of oatmeal from the thing. We just throw it out in the yard. It's 10 minutes, it's gone. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> chickens aren't worried about being snacky. They don't have to go on YouTube. <laughs> Same with wiener dogs. <laughs> hmm. Yep. Well, um, you were telling us about something you had been up to, Jimmy. What were you doing? Oh, this weekend I went up? to uh, Vectric, the Vectric user group, which is Vectric is the software that's used in Shopbot particularly, but in a lot of different CNC uh, machines. So if you buy a CNC machine from Shopbot, you will get Vectric to use with it. You get VCarve and VCarve Pro, and then you have Aspire. Aspire has a whole 3D design and development package with lots of clip art. And so I went and I just, they asked me to just talk about my experience. I met Vectric in February when I got my big shop bot. And uh, some of the guys from CNC Router were there. Bob, do you, are you using Vectrix with your CNC Router machine? Yeah, we use Aspire. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, so you know Aspire. Yeah. So yep. um, yeah, so the guys from CNC Router parts of there, Nathan was there, I got to hang out with him. And uh, it was great. It was great because it was basically 30-minute lessons all day long. I didn't go Friday. I went Friday night, so I missed the Friday day, and I hung out all day Saturday, and I did my talk at about 3 o'clock on Saturday. But I got to sit and listen to very uh, useful lessons, 30 minutes at a time. It was great. They had it set up nice where they did three lessons and a break, three lessons and a break, three lessons and a break. And uh, I did my talk about the idea of being intimidated by the equipment and the software early on and staying in your comfort zone and getting outside your comfort zone and everybody was really inspired by my talk I'm, I just went up and kind of told my story and I did a quick keynote slideshow of my progression on YouTube of early on just using only bandsaw and then it was funny the the moment in time where I saw like a kid using the CNC machine at at uh, at Maker Faire and so I did it just for that moment, just to highlight that moment. I just Googled child on a CNC machine. And the first picture that popped up, I screen grabbed it and put it into my slideshow. And the, that child's father was in the audience. Oh, he came man. up to me afterwards. And, and he said, he goes, that's my daughter. I was so happy to see her in your presentation. Uh-huh. What? That is cool. What, what is the CNC company that Laura uh, represents? Laura has a, it's like the orange machine, the orange and silver machine. Uh, Stepcraft? Yeah. It was the guy from Stepcraft. It was his. Wow. Yeah. Nice guy. We chatted for a minute. And 
and the speech went over really well. The talk went over really well. A lot of, it resonated with a lot of guys because the audience was uh, the older generation. Between my generation and my dad's generation, there was a lot of retirees in the audience and guys finding a new path in life. And it was great to see. It was inspiring to see. And, and we talked about it before we got started. I, was, I thought to myself, why aren't there more younger people here? Younger people learn because they social network, they hang out together, they, oh, how did you do that? Oh, let me show you how you do it. The older guys are a little bit more isolated where they need a little bit more direct direction. And that's why the place, that's my summary of why the place was populated with a lot of older guys and, and girls wanting to learn very specific techniques where like, Bob, your kids would just learn from each other and learn from kids at school. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah, yeah. very young age, it's just, it's just part of the atmosphere. Whereas you get thrown into it as an adult or, or a senior and you're like, whoa, I don't know, what is clip art? Oh my God, that's a clip art of a 3D model. What is a 3D model? Where do you get that? And so that's why the, the place was, was a lot of seniors there. But it was great. And I had a lot of fans there, which I didn't even expect. They, and, and thankfully, I, I almost didn't go because of logistics. And I did go at the last minute and I went and I met about 10 guys that said they specifically came because they saw me mentioned early on in the stuff. So... I'm glad I didn't let those guys down. At the last minute, I was ready to bail. I was like, nobody is going to know me. Like, I don't know. I mean, uh, and it wasn't that I needed the adulation to go, but I just felt like I wouldn't be missed if I changed my plans is really what I was thinking. Hmm. But I'm glad that uh, I didn't I didn't change my plans at the last minute. And, and they were great. We had a really great hangout the night before at some restaurant. And the, all the, 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 the group from Aspire, the group from Vectric is a great, great crew of people. They were so nice and accommodating we really got on really well, and uh, we're going to do stuff together at Maker Central. They're going to have a big booth at Maker Central this year, so cool. they said, you know, would you come up on stage and do something? So we're going to figure out something. We're going to maybe design something on the fly and cut it out right there and then. Awesome. That was good. Yeah, you're talking about like talking about the old old people, <laughs> not old people, older people versus younger people learning. I think one of the big things that I've noticed there, and I think we're all kind of in that sweet spot in our lives. Uh, where we fit, we're, we're kind of both of these things, but like, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> the, I definitely feel like I can call you up and you know you can give me some answers, and you know it's like no big deal. I'm not right. in a, I'm not in a vacuum where I don't know who to talk well, to. I, I think one of the big things that's different between those two generations and where we is kind of fit in the middle is that you know the the older generation grew up learning a certain set of things. They got to a point in their maturity and in their skill sets where they're like, okay, this is what I know. Like this is how I learned these, and then all of a sudden, these tools that never existed before are just like, it's not like they're coming; they're they're like whispered about. They're yeah. just here, <laughs> and it's like that's true. Here's a huge amount of technology that's just blah. Whereas, like the kids are, these things are existing before the kids start to even realize that yep. it's you know. And so, I mean, it's just like computers. You know, we all. Um, computers were already beginning to happen when we came into the place where it would start to make sense for us to learn. So we kind of naturally, you know, just started picking up the computer stuff that we needed to. Whereas, like, my dad is maybe the exception to that, one of the exceptions in that generation where he picked them up really quickly, got really into computers. But a lot of people of my parents' generation, it would they were just a little bit too old to, like, you know, computers are something that I can see as being useful. It was like they were right behind the curve and just always are playing catch up on the technology side of things. But, you know, that happens for every generation. I mean, there's always some new thing, whether it's technology, manufacturing, you know, 
I don't know, politics, social change, all that stuff happens. And depending on where you are in the spectrum of your life, like you may be right ahead of it. You may be right behind it. You may be right in the sweet spot, but this new hip hop, I don't understand this new hip hop. (laughs) It's so weird to me. (laughs) Well, there you go. There's your, there's your thing. You're behind the curve. Yeah, Way behind. (laughs) That's funny. But yeah, it's interesting watching my kids learn about all this stuff. Um, and I mean, you know, they're they're in a privileged position to have access to a bunch of technology um, without it being really like, super far out of reach. And that's both in school and also at home. Like I have an, an abnormal amount of technology around my house and manufacturing technology and stuff. You know, and I know that's not that's not common, but at the same time, I'm super happy that I'm able to offer that for my kids to learn. Um, and, and so, like, just to jump. I wasn't planning on talking about what I'm doing, but I'm currently working on um, some costumes for my kids. And I think I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Like, we are all going to be these certain Star Wars characters for this event. And so it's it's a way for us to build something together. Everybody's making their costumes at the same time. And it's cool because we're 3D printing the helmets for all the kids. And I... <laughs> Yesterday, I sat down with my daughter at a table, and I was like, hey, I'm going to go get the... Uh, we finished up 3D printing the parts, and we're going to start assembling your, your helmet. And, um, you know, I want you to do it. I'm not going to do it for you, but I'm going to bring you all the parts. And it was so funny, because I caught myself saying that. Like, that sentence, I'm going to go down, take the things off the 3D printer, and bring you these parts, and you're going to make a helmet. It's like my the future. Daughter. It's like the It's Jetsons. the future. And she didn't even blink. It wasn't like... <clears throat> wait, we have a 3D printer? It wasn't like, wait, I'm going to make a helmet? It wasn't any of those. She was just like, okay, cool. Sounds good. And it hit me in that moment, and I have a bunch of those little moments where I'm just like, this is crazy that we have the capability to do stuff like this in our home and that my kids are so, like, cool with it and they're just ready to get into it and it's not, like, a scary thing. They're not worried about whether they can or they can't do it or, you know. And like we, we got my, I have two of my boys have birthdays around this time of year. So we have two in October. One was last week, one's next week. And, um, so my younger one of the two, uh, we got him his first like Lego robotics thing. And so he's now building this robot and programming it. And it's just like no big deal to him to just like build a robot and like program. I mean, he loves it. He's excited about it, but it's not hard for him. It's not something that's like, Oh, I can't do that. You know? And I just think that's really cool. I don't know how I got to talking about that. No, but. it's great. Cause I mean, the contrary of that is, is like the guys that I saw this weekend, including me, I'm putting myself in the same category where it's like, Oh wait, how do you, how do you take some radial shape off of a piece? Oh, wait, let me write that down. Where, you know, a kid would be like, Oh yeah, that's what that box is for. Take some radio. <laughs> Take some. Well, I mean, maybe you know everybody's got to learn the stuff. It's not like people just kids don't intuitively know where things are, but they don't have the history of I've done things a certain way or I've had right. experience yeah. with a certain yeah. tool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, I, it was funny because there was a I asked a couple of questions during the lectures where I was asking the most basic questions, and I and, and I asked a couple times because the presenter just intuitively assumed everybody knew how to take a couple of thousands off your radial cut and a radial cut is the side cut. And they were talking about making a puzzle. It was Edward the, from Vector talking about making a puzzle and he made the first puzzle and he put it together. He couldn't take it apart because the tolerance was so tight. 
And in Vectric, there's an offset click, which I've seen a thousand times, but I never checked the boxes. I never knew what it was for. But you click that box and you put 000, you know, one, and you could take off a thousand off of your radial cut. If you do negative 0.001, you could take off a thousand to 002, 2000, so on and so on. Or you could add it. If you, if you put a positive numerical value, it'll add it to your cut. So you can go outside the line and then do an offset or on the line and do an offset. And then you could manipulate exactly how big your piece is going to be. And in the instance of a puzzle, that's where it's important because the pieces actually have to coincide with one another. <clears throat> and, uh, and I was like, how do you, he's like, oh, it fits tight together. So I, I changed the offset and, and I'm like, wait, where's the offset click? And everybody giggled because they all were afraid to ask the same question. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, where's the offset button? Like, how come you didn't say that? So hmm. lots of simple stuff like that where it's just taken for granted. Obviously, if you use the software on a daily basis, but super little click boxes, which that, and that's my problem with Fusion. I use Fusion and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, how do I round the edge? I oh, forget it. I'll just hand draw it. And it's always like a bump in the road. Well, I was going to say the same thing about Fusion. Like, I, that's the same process I go through. I don't know Fusion that well. I know enough to get to a point, and then I have to start looking up specifics for that particular project yeah. that I'm working on, you know. And it's it's always just like this accumulation of of those little, where's that checkbox? Where's that menu yeah. item? Where's that thing? And then you find yourself scrolling through some guy's 30-minute video of, like, he's talking about his cat, and then he gets to Fusion, and then you're scrolling. He's looking for that image on screen that's going to, like, answer <laughs> your question, and then you get to it. And it's right there, but he doesn't talk about it. He talks about something else, and you're just like, ugh. You know, you're 25 <laughs> minutes in, and you can't find an answer. Yeah, yep. that's my experience. <laughs> hmm. And don't, and, and don't watch those videos on your phone or an iPad because the YouTube app stinks for that because you can't it's so hard to click on that little red dot that's the size of a pinhead to to move yeah. you touch the screen the screen goes dark i hate that and then you can't you can't get that little scrubber you're muted jimmy we talked about that in my Chevy where everything is, has a delay it's driving me insane oh. how on the YouTube app now when you touch it the screen slowly goes dark yeah and then when you let go of it, it slowly goes back to a view. I want to punch my phone every time. It's like, <laughs> you guys notice yeah. that in the YouTube? Yeah, app? I, like, I, I really dislike it. It is so irritating because as a YouTube viewer, as a consumer of, of content, we're looking for like a split second of an information piece. And that, that interrupts it. We're looking for that one visual we want to see again or that one piece of information we want to see. And that interferes with it. 100% agree. So, yeah. hmm. so YouTube. I haven't noticed that. but Get rid of that. On the phone tweet, when you tweet tap at them. Because like their, their team YouTube uh, Twitter account, like that's where people complain about functions and stuff. And they actually respond to quite a few of them. The thing that's annoying, just total sidebar, the thing that's annoying about following that account is that they seem to get on and respond in a block. So like there would be nothing by them for a day and then all of a sudden there's like 20 responses to everybody's complaints so it's kind of annoying to follow but at the same time it's a pretty good way to get information to the build team yeah I follow but I never looked so I gotta look now yeah cool David what have you been up to wedding rings Ooh. it is wedding. yeah it's that, that time of year where we we make new rings every year we retire old ones and, and make new ones and I've been uh, um, I'm on my second or third 
variation. I, tr- I tried a couple things and I didn't I didn't like it. So I'm using copper tubing as kind of the base because last year's rings broke. They were segmented and they weren't strong enough. And uh, so this year I'm like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna use a metal base. And so I annealed some copper, put it on a ring stretcher, got it to the right size, and then I wrapped it with wood and I did a little aluminum wire like a jeweler's aluminum inlay and and then I tried some UV epoxy which I've never used before and it gave it a a really thick glossy coat but it wasn't super clear and I didn't like that and I hate glossy things so I kind of scrapped that whole idea and I'm starting over and still with the the copper base but uh just just sticking with with wood I um in the past, I would take veneers. I would either make my own veneers or buy veneers and then put them in boiling water to soften them up and then wrap them up in a coil, let them dry, and it kind of maintains that shape, which makes it easier to to wrap around itself. And lots of people in the previous videos would say, just take a hand plane and make shavings. So um, for, the, for this version that's actually working for me, I took... Uh, a piece of Bacote that's in the middle and it's sandwiched between two pieces of of cherry and that's glued and it's really it's really thin and then hand plane some shavings off of there and it comes in out in a nice little curl and so I'm using that to wrap around the copper and it's working it's working well cool sounds awesome yeah every year I try to do something a little bit different with the rings and I also I found a uh, a book on Amazon. It's all different different types of rings. So now I got ideas for plenty of years in the future. So Kelly, don't. Oh, that was going to be my next. That was going to be my next question. Like, at what point do you go? Like, I've done all the different types of rings that I'm interested in. Doing, right, right. You know, but, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're, I guess, if you're creative enough, you're always going to come up with with something new. And there's new materials to work with, and it would give me an excuse to buy other metalworking tools or work with resins or, or whatever. So there's, if you're creative enough, you'll find ways to, to keep it new. Yeah. And thinking back, like you've already within just that, that year, yearly project you've done like solid wood, veneers, titanium, <laughs> yeah. uh, copper now. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, don't, don't, don't cut titanium on a, <laughs> <laughs> on a CNC my size, my inventable CNC, it's too dangerous. It's uh, the spindle spins too fast, and it create and it gets it creates too much heat, and it throws mm. sparks, and it's just not a good thing. So, uh, you can cut aluminum with the inventables, and you can you can cut titanium. I successfully cut titanium, but it was a long process, and it was it was probably a little too dangerous to do in my basement. Hmm. Do you did you would you will you make a display cabinet for all the past years? Yeah, that's the that's the plan. I haven't figured out what to do yet, but it has to be something modular where you can add to it. And I, I don't right. I, I just haven't the idea hasn't hit me, so they're all just kind of thrown in a in a drawer. All the past ones are I'm just picturing in a I'm picturing a stand like a, a a little wooden platform with two long sticks coming out of it. Uh huh. His and hers. And you just, just stack them grows. Up and you hope yeah. that it goes all the way up like three feet. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly, don't divorce me so we can continue this project. <laughs> Make them really long. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, well, uh, we'll see. What have I been up to? I went. I, I, I sound. I don't know if I sound weird to you guys. I feel like I'm yelling. So if I am, I'm sorry. 
I sound weird. I went to a show last night for the first time in a really long time, and it was in Nashville, so I had to drive two hours, saw Thrice play. It was awesome. <laughs> Drove back, got back at like 2 a.m., slept for four hours, and got up to take the kids to school. So my ears are, you know, busted from being in a show um, and being old. And then <laughs> <laughs> also I haven't slept much, and I went for a run. So I apologize if I'm yelling. Who did you go and see? A band called Thrice. Um, who are they? I'm an old man, you know. Who's they're Thrice? Um, some 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 young rock kids. Actually, uh, it's a band. They've been around for like 20 years. Uh, they're Ooh. very very good. Ooh. I don't know if you'd like them or not, but is it country favorites. music or is it like no, it digital hip hop music? <laughs> it's digital country hip hop. No, it's rock. It's heavy. Oh, that work. rock stuff? <laughs> yep, rock and roll with, with the backbeats. Um, yeah, so we, my wife and I went and did that last night, which was really cool. It was nice to, to go do something fun like that that I haven't done in a while. But within the work world, we didn't put out a video last week. Uh, well, we put out a bits video last week, but we didn't put out a project video because we had a couple of things going at the same time. And <clears throat> actually, like... I guess three or four videos going at the same time. And we ran into all this material. Did I talk about this last week? I don't believe I don't so. so. I, I don't know if I'd hit this point, yes, last week or not. But, um, like, the materials for one project, it, it was the, I was doing some silicone, and the stuff I had on the shelf I didn't realize would go bad. But it actually says on the front of the container, like, use this as soon as you get it or something like that. Anyway, so the silicon I used, um, it was really interesting because it, it ended up, when I was mixing it, it was two parts, it was real chunky, and I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to mix together well enough to cure correctly, but I'm going to go ahead and try it because I've already got it and I've already mixed it and everything. So I'm mixing this up, and it did get to a homogenous color like it's supposed to. So I know it like mixed through, but it was still really chunky. It had these big, like rubbery parts in it where you know it should be like pretty uniformly liquid but there were these chunks so I went ahead and poured it into the mold uh, and I was like I'll just see how it goes it turned out it cured fine cured all the way through did it at the right time but those chunks um, didn't like auto level you know like you know when you pour in it should level itself so that the back of the top of the mold the back would be flat well, these chunks were already kind of set up, so they didn't level, so that the back of the mold was like a little mountain range, <laughs> like low on one side, high on the other. So when you go to flip it over to pour the casting into it, it wasn't laying level. So it was kind of weird because like the material did what it was supposed to do, but it made it unusable as a level mold. So anyway, I don't know if that makes any sense, but. Um, you said you said I'm stuck on something. You said auto level. Yeah, which makes me think that there was some sort of electronic component to this gelatin. There's not. <laughs> there's not. But I was actually. No, but it's helping me imagine that. That would be cool. You really wanted to say self level. Self level is what I meant. Yeah. yeah. There's also 3D printing stuff in my head right now that I wanted to talk to you about, and that right. was, I think, the the subconscious yeah. mixture there. So, um, do you have something, David? I, I, I was gonna. I wanted to talk about casting, and I saw some cool stuff over the weekend, and I'll let you finish your thought. Okay, so uh, my grandfather, he is friends with a local sculptor 
His name is Jim Havens, and he does just absolutely amazing work. And he has this studio in this little town outside of Toledo. And uh, he, it's all metal work and, and, and bronze casting and aluminum casting. And my grandpa said, hey, the Toledo Area Sculptors Guild, they're doing a bronze four today. They're making the, the sculpture. Would you want to come out and see it? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And it was it was really cool. There, I don't know if they're called furnaces or kilns, but um, I don't know the proper terminology. But it was just really cool to see. And there's a lot to bronze casting. So um, they were kind of taking me through the process. My, my grandfather, uh, he was a body model for a local um, sculpture of Gandhi. So the, the the artist tried to use some area students, but the student's skin was too smooth and too perfect. And my grandfather's hands and legs have texture and, and veins. And so he was. they were taking me through the process of how, to, how they made these castings of my grandfather's legs and arms. And you do the rubber mold first, just like we've seen a hundred times. And then they fill that with wax. And then they take that wax casting and they coat that with this ceramic stuff. And there's like nine coats of the ceramic. And then that becomes the mold for this bronze cast, this bronze casting. You, you bake out the, you bake out the, uh, the, the, the wax. The wax, yeah. And, uh, you know, they're, 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 the statue that they were making, uh, the sculpture that they were making, they, they, they t- had that casting and they packed sand around the outside. And they're actually experimenting with new techniques of, injecting co2 into the sand to kind of harden it and then they just they pour this molten bronze into it it was just it was a super cool process i had no idea like it's a long four-step process it's it's an ancient process too it's it's a it's how they've done it for so many yeah thousands of years they were saying and and uh, and this was just one piece of the sculpture that they're working on. This is separate than the Gandhi thing I was mentioning. But so this guy was making this sculpture of like a, a young couple holding hands uh, in a kind of like a gothy way, and it was a really cool drawing. That, um, but this is just one piece of this big sculpture. Like it's, this thing takes months and months and months to make because it's it's so complex. It was just a a really cool process to see. I had no idea how it was done, and it was really cool huh yeah, yeah bronze is, cool. is a very complicated process and it's usually done in small pieces yeah if it's a big piece if it's a big collective piece it's a it's a collection of small pieces all welded together yeah it's great it's heavy like just these small pieces are super heavy yeah cool yeah i've never seen that process done um yeah so we basically had trouble with the casting or with the molding material and so i had to order that we had a couple of projects going on at the same time. So it was like, well, that one's on hold. So let's set that over here. That's supposed to be this week. We'll start working on next week's to get ahead. So we started working on that one that ran into some things. And then anyway, we basically had like three or four things going and all of them had like a, well, I guess I got to order this. Oh, uh, I got to order more of that. Oh, I got to wait for this to cure, you know? And so it was like kind of bouncing around. I got a lot done, and actually, two of them we finished on the same day, but we didn't get them done in time to get a video out last week. So I, it's weird because, you know, I've been talking for a while about wanting to change my pace and, and not feel so stressed about, you know, getting stuff out all the time. And so Thursday was the opportunity of like, okay, we just finished two of them. 
we can work really, really hard to try to get one of them out tomorrow to have a video this week, or we can just say, skipping this week, and now we're two weeks ahead. I was like, oh, <laughs> like that makes a lot more sense, you know? Like, take a breather, don't put out a video, and then realize that you have the next two weeks' videos done, and then you start working on the third one. Anyway, um, that, it felt really good, oddly, to not put out a video and just be like, for the sake of trying to to gain, you know, like the the schedule that I want to get to. Um, <clears throat> so that was one really step cool. back and two step forwards. Yeah, pretty much. There you go. It's a poster yeah. I'm gonna make. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the other part of that is that we have a new bits video coming out today, and we did one a couple of weeks ago on 3D printing. Jimmy, I don't know if you've had any interest or if you've seen either one of them, but we're trying to take some of the topics around 3D printing and break them down so that somebody that doesn't have a lot of experience can come in and say like, you know, just like give me the small lesson. And the first one was buying your first printer. Like what are some of the, not which printer to buy, but what are some of the technical things that you might want to look for? And it's right. like, you know, build size and yeah. hot end type and things like that. And it's real, it's kind of high level, but it's, I think for somebody that doesn't know what they don't know, yeah, I think it's a good way to look and like, oh, okay, well, these are the four things that I should care about when I'm looking for a machine. So that might be useful. The one that's coming out today is kind of the same thing about filaments. So there's so many different filament types now. And when you hear people talk around like these acronyms for this plastic and that plastic, they don't usually come with instructions as to why you would use one over the other. What are the advantages and disadvantages? Right. So we're doing one of those today. Oh, cool. Um, Do you know Chuck? Types. You meet, you meet Chuck Hellebuck? Yeah. You know, Chuck, the yep. 3D printer. I met him this this year at New York Maker Fair again. We met a few times over the years. And uh, I asked him for some advice. So he's going to guide me into getting into 3D printing this year. Hmm. So cool. We've been talking through the email. He might actually come out here and, and spend a weekend and get me set up to print a couple things once we pick a machine. So we've, yeah. we've been emailing a little bit. So I'm looking forward to getting started. He's a good dude. So, yeah. He's, he's I, I believe stuff. he's in. he might be in the, the Detroit area. Somewhere close yeah. to me, yeah. Cool. Um, so the one project that we finished up that is coming out this week, I'm really excited about. It turned out really cool. Josh and I had a lot of fun working on it. Um, you guys probably have not watched the Daredevil show on Netflix or oh. know of the character Daredevil. No. Mm -mm. no, yeah, I knew you wouldn't. Okay, well, it's a comic book character. He's like a vigilante, but he, his weapon, he's blind too, but it's important to the character. He has a billy club that opens in the middle and it turns into nunchucks. It's super Ooh, cool. I like that. And so we made we made that <laughs> and it works. Oh, sweet. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, um, I'm actually not sure what the wood type was. We were going to use this block of oak that I had and it. I don't think it was enough. So we had this other thing and it's like elm maybe. I don't know what it is, but it, it looks kind of like a mixture between pine and oak it's pretty hard and it has a lot of uh variation in it anyway just random block of wood but we had to dye the wood because this thing's supposed to be like blood red so um anyway the project was cool because it was a mixture there was uh metal turning on the lathe there was wood turning on the lathe there's 3d printing for the notch for the connector in the middle there's a, a cable uh, I actually ended up using the bass guitar string as the cable that runs down the center of it to connect the two pieces and so it just it's a 
big wood and steel billy club that's pretty substantial, and then you unscrew it, and you got nunchucks, and they work, and it was pretty cool. <laughs> so Nice. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm picturing the video of the guy that's, like, swinging them around, and he knocks himself out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was careful not to do that because I didn't want to smack myself. It, it that's a hurt. funny video from like before YouTube was out. It was going around of a guy swinging him around and he hits himself in the head and he slowly gets himself knocked out. <laughs> Takes him like 10 seconds to fall down, which is funny. So that's what I've been up to doing, doing those. We got bits videos coming out. We're back on video release schedule and nunchucks coming out. Nice. So yeah, that'll do well. Uh, maybe. I mean, it, it's it's funny because it's a project that I've been wanting to do for well over a year, and it was one of those like, well, I don't really know what the mechanism is to connect these two things. I've never really thought about the best way to go about it, and, and I said, well, we'll put it on the schedule for the next couple of months. And then I happened to see that the new season of the show that it's from Perfect. is coming out this week, and I was like, okay, let's make it a priority. Let's you know try to get it, if for no other reason than just to have a date on it so that I do it. And it was a cool motivation to have like a hard date and say, you know, we're just going to work to try to get it done by that time. And we did. So, um, Yeah. So that's what I'm up to. Would we have anything to, to talk about? I don't know if we have time. We kind of an idea. <laughs> we don't have time. That's 41 minutes. Right. I mean, we got, we got time. All right. Uh, so my idea is, is uh, alternative materials, alternative tools for lower budgets. It's, it's a question I get asked all the time, like, hey, I, I don't have a hardwood dealer, or I, wood's expensive, tools are expensive, how do I get into this hobby? And I thought, maybe if we do a podcast on this, I can send them to this podcast, start at right. 42 minutes in. <laughs> I got something to add, which is a surprise thing I didn't realize. You know, I, I, I make so many things, and I don't realize how I make them. I'm not usually consciously deciding one thing over another. I put the doghouse video out, which is my low sponsored video where I made a doghouse for bear. Just put it out yesterday morning. It's performing very well. And in the video, I use a circular saw to split two by fours and to cut down plywood. And everyone's like, oh my God, finally a video, finally back again, a video that I could look at and I can duplicate, which is something I didn't know that I was kind of veering away from. You know, I mean, if you know me, you know, I just do whatever with whatever. Anyway, I used a circular saw to break down all the material to put it together, primarily because we were in my big new barn with all the material. And I was like, you know what? We're in this big open space. Let's just shoot here. Me and Brett just shot it there. And I just said, yeah, I got the circular saw. That's enough. I can figure out how to do this. Because I knew I was going to have all these other finishing over all my cuts. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, I'll use the table saw later to cut straights to cover up all my wavy cuts with the circular saw. But a lot of people said, it's great and refreshing to see just a circular saw, plywood, a ruler, and a marker, mm. and you can get so far in a project. And so it was refreshing for a lot of the viewers, which I, I didn't realize. And you know, now that I'm a little bit more conscious of it, I'll try and do some more stuff like that in the future. But it primarily was a logistics thing. I don't have a table saw in the new barn yet. I don't even have electric there yet. The lights are on with an extension cord. And I just said, let's just get as far as we can here. We'll bring it over to the big shop. And uh, so talk about just using a circular saw. And that's all. I was able to circular saw and a screw gun. I was able to basically build 60% of the project. And all the details came in later with the fancy machines like the laser cutter and the circular saw, the table saw and nail guns and fancy stuff like that. Laser cutter? 
Uh, yep. uh, I mean, we've talked about it before. You can do a lot with a circular saw, a jigsaw, and a drill. I mean, those are like those are the three main tools in working with wood. And then you can move up to the stationary versions of that, of being a table saw, a bandsaw, and a drill press. And so, um, uh, how I got started was just buying used tools on Craigslist. I got my table saw for I think a hundred dollars, and then I paid the guy an extra $25 to drop it off at my house. And it was this grizzly, 20 year old grizzly table saw and it worked great. And bought my first miter saw used on, on Craigslist. And th that's how I got into it because it is a, woodworking is a really expensive hobby. Um, I don't, Bob, do you remember your first tools and, and how you acquired them? Yeah. Yeah, the first one, and actually this happened a couple of times. Um, when I was in college, I had, I can't remember who it was now, but somebody wanted me to build them um, some shelves or a bed or something. I don't remember. It was a small piece of furniture, like really simple. And I don't know why they wanted me to build them because I didn't have anything to show off that was like, I can make this thing. I think maybe I'd built something and shown them pictures or I don't know. But they asked me to do to build them something, and I said, "Well, I don't have the tools, so why don't you buy me this tool and this tool, and I'll hmm. my payment is that I get those tools, you get the thing that you want, and done." And so these were cheap Black and Decker. You remember when the Black and Decker tools were like green plastic? Yeah, remember yeah, that, that range. Maybe the eighties. So it was a yeah, it was like a twelve volt or eight volt drill and like a jigsaw, and that was what I had, and I built this whatever the thing was. I think it was a set of shelves. So, you know, the payment was that I got to keep those two tools. They lasted for a couple of years through a few more projects, and then they burned out because they were cheap and weak and whatever. But <clears throat> point being is that was my payment that I then turned around and used to make some other stuff. I made somebody a rat enclosure for their, like, rat pet rats randomly. I made somebody a bed. Um, and I think I got a circular saw in there. But the there was like this turnover like you you know the first payment was tools you use those tools to make something else to get a little bit of money you use that money to replace the tools when they break or add a circular saw or whatever and it's the step up thing down the road um after i had a small shop and i didn't have a lot of tools i don't even think i had a table saw at that point um i would started working restoring a vespa and i had the one that i got didn't need a lot of metal work done there was a little bit and so when I was doing my Vespa, I had to get a little bit of welding done at a, I had some friends who had a motorcycle shop. And so I took them the frame and said, here are the things that I need fixed, whatever. They fixed them because I didn't have the way to do it. After I finished this whole Vespa, um, a friend of mine wanted to get one too. And I said, well, how about this? You buy me a welder and I will learn how to weld fix the stuff on this bike like we picked them out of Vespa locally and it needed more work than mine needed and I said well you know you, he didn't need it in a hurry and that that's a key thing here is like we he knew that it was going to take me the time to learn how to weld um, but my payment for restoring an entire Vespa was a Lincoln welder so I learned how to weld enough to fix the few problems that I had to put in basically a new floor pan in this Vespa and it's a pretty simple operation for that. So I walked away from that project with um, a welder that I could use in future stuff. 
And so I think that's a pretty awesome way to go about it. If you find somebody that has a need and you're willing to like invest your learning time, which is a big part of it. You're not necessarily getting paid for learning. You're and you know, what you get out of it is a tool that you can then turn around after that project, you've got some stuff you learned and a tool that you can apply to the next thing. And the next thing, you'll probably pick up another tool and a little bit more knowledge that you can apply to the next thing. You know, and whether that's buying tools used or borrowing them from somebody that you know that has them. Like I know um, somebody I talked to one time was saying how they didn't have the tools that they wanted. They went over to a friend's house and their friend's dad had tools that he wasn't using in his garage, like up on a shelf. And so this, it was a like a 18, 20 year old person. They said, you know, can I borrow those tools for six months and I will make you something that you need for your house for that six months worth of borrowing the tools. And the, the dad was like, I don't care. You can just take them. I don't use them. But he used it as a, he like rented the tools and ended up making something, you know, for the person he was running from. So there's a lot of ways that you can kind of turn that same situation around and get you know, get kind of get started to get that kickstart into the first thing that you need. I, I think there's a lot of people who have tools who are makers or woodworkers or metal workers who just have these tools that aren't being used and would love to find a good home for them. I mean, think, I mean, Jimmy finds tools all the time. It has a lot to do with the audience too. Audience is constantly saying, "Hey, do you want this? Or do you know somebody that would want it?" So that helps a lot. So people are always because they know that I'm willing to take a drive and pick up something heavy or do something like that. So I get offered stuff all the time, and for that I'm very, very grateful. But everybody has uncles and 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 friends and and aunts who you know like just ask around. Yeah. So another thing I wanted to talk about was materials. Materials are really expensive as well. And when I look at somebody like Paul Jackman, who doesn't pay a dime for material, I mean, he yeah, he just goes around finding. I was help. I was ribbing him over the weekend. I was ribbing him last night. I was saying, Jack, because uh, I we were both on the comment section for tips from a shipwright who just put out his last episode of his dory build, and I saw Jackman, and Jackman's like, oh boy, building a boat would be a dream one day, and he's like, kind of had no intention of doing it. I said, Jackman, let's do it. I just did one. You got to do one. And so last night I was doing my stories and I saw, I, I, I texted Jack, I tagged Jackman. I said, you got to build a canoe out of pallets. Said, that, is your, <laughs> that is your function, oh, man. man. And I challenged him and he, he's like, oh man, now I got, because I've been thinking about it, he goes, but now I got to do it. So I, I put him to the test. So to build a canoe out of pallets would be awesome. Mm. But he, yeah, he, and he does beautiful things with just pallet wood. Yeah. Incredible results. Yeah. My stepfather, uh, who works with metal once in a while, uh, he goes to the garage sales and picks up old beds and uses uh, the the bed frames as angle iron. And so, I mean, that's a cheap way to to get metal. And so he's got a he's got a barn full of just scrap metal that he just picks up randomly all the time. Yeah, that's those bars off of beds. If you can look in for angle iron. It's so hard. It's hard in steel. It is super hard. It's like it goes through cutting discs so bad. Mm. You learn that the hard way. But it is great strong angle iron if you got a strong project. So I used that when that when I made that trike that time, thinking like it bed frames are cheap. It's probably just like cheap, easy steel to cut. Nope. It's it, some like it's some space blades. metal that you can't you can't cut, you can't drill. Yeah. It's some because it, it's got to be strong to hold up a human being. 
Yeah. When I was looking at that project, I actually um, went to Goodwill and I got a bed frame. I got a pair of um, crutches for like five bucks. And so you have some really thin aluminum tube from the crutches. And then I got an exercise bike that was maybe 20 or $30 or something like that. And between those three things, I had a huge amount of metal, um, all sorts of stuff. I had, you know, like the exercise bike had a lot of different things on it. There was like uh, tubular steel. There was like some square tube or like rectangular tube for the legs that were on the ground. There was a bunch of stuff in there, you know, and it wasn't a huge investment. Obviously, that's only going to be useful if you need the stuff that's in it. But I think you can you can often find like bed frames and even bed slats. You know, if you had like a, a box, mm. if you can find a box spring that's not gross, a lot of time the the frame of those are poplar or another more of a hardwood. Um, so you know you can always look through stuff like that. But at the same time, they're also often very disgusting. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, once you shake the bed bugs out, you have some really nice wood. Oh yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, another place to get great wood, and we were just discussing this yesterday, me and some of the guys at the event. If you're in a town, find out where the local cabinet makers is. If there is a cabinet maker or uh, a company that makes furniture or a company that actually produces a lot of stuff out of wood, because they throw away the best garbage. When I lived, I lived in, in LA for six months uh, in the early 2000s when I did my first TV show. And right next to where we lived, me and my girlfriend at the time, there was a a young, a young cabinet maker and a couple of guys. It wasn't a big collective, but it was like four guys making stuff all day long. And I always went by that dumpster and pulled out good pieces of wood to use on the TV show that I was working on. And they threw away the best stuff because it just clutters up the shop. If you're going to cut a sheet of plywood and you, you wind up with a one foot piece, they keep some of it. But for the most part, it ends up building up. They don't they, they don't know what to do with it. A, a perfect example, and I may have said this in the past, my buddy Luke owns a company called Raydor, and he makes cast acrylic doors for hotels and and fancy apartments. He buys 10 by 5 foot sheets of cast acrylic, which is $30 a square foot. So those sheets are thousands of dollars. And he ends up with cutoffs 1 foot to 18 inches by 4 feet by 5 feet. He doesn't know what to do with them. He has... Huh hundreds and hundreds of pounds of this cutoffs. So he doesn't know what to do with them. And like I said, they're $30, $40 a square foot in some cases because it has linen embedded in them. It's got gold screen because he buys all this fancy stuff. And because he's able to sell it, the Lucite companies experiment with making all this weird stuff for him. So he has all these weird pieces. And that's why if you notice a lot of my projects are this quarter inch cast acrylic, like I made the Depeche Mode cube out of it. It's all stuff that Luke just, he gives it to me like, hey, pull up and I'll have like a giant trunk trunk full. like, And it's like a thousand pounds worth of plastic. He's like, just take this because I don't know what to do with it. And I use it as scrap stuff. I use it to mix on. I use it for all kinds of stuff. So find companies, factories nearby that have a byproduct that just gets thrown into a dumpster. And well, you find a source like that, you, you could live on that forever. Well, speaking of like um, the, the Restore, the Habitat for Humanity Restore stores are a place where people like that will often take their extras. And a lot of it is, you know, construction material. Like you'll find a store that has like a hundred doors that are, you know, 21 inches or some random weird thing that's totally unusable. But also when a construction job is over, if there's a bunch of offcuts like that or a bunch of just unusable pieces for that particular project, they'll take them. So, um, 
I know the one in Savannah that we used to go to had a bin of two by fours. And most of those two by fours were six feet or four feet, or they were, you know, not like a full, you wouldn't frame anything with them or they had a whole bunch of knots in them or they had a whole bunch of this. So they're not going to be great for every particular situation, but you could go in there and find two by four, one by four type now, stuff. I don't, but then you, but you could, you could also find like huge amounts of cabinets where people would have, they would rip out a kitchen of old oak cabinets that were it, way too much work to refinish and restyle for something modern, but they don't want to throw them away. So you take them in there, they're super cheap. You could take that, rip those apart, and you've got like oak panels that you could sand down and use for all sorts of stuff. There's a place in New York, and it might be a national thing. I don't know. It's called Materials for the Arts. And <clears throat> I used to go there with my friend Kimber all the time. She was a performance artist, and she would ask me because I had a truck. She would say, hey, let's go to the Materials for the Arts. And we'd go, and she'd... And, if you go through, you get your, you show that you're an artist. Somehow you have to qualify, and you just walk through and take stuff. She's like, "Take that." <laughs> how do you take- how do you qualify that you're an artist? No, you got to like show that you're not going to resell it. You got to kind of just like you know qualify that you're actually maybe you have like some some credentials that you've done some gallery shows or something like that. Because hmm. they what what they don't want is people coming in and just take because it's free. You just walk in and leave with it. They don't charge you. It's just a non it's a nonprofit. Uh, huh organization that will accept donations tax deductible donations so if you're just about what you said if you're a construction company and you have 75 sheets of of plastic you don't know what to do with you give it to materials for the arts in queens and they have a huge warehouse and then when i go in and i need that plastic i can take all of it or one sheet they don't care they just want to see it get used so it's a it's a very well-intended company and it was called materials for the arts i haven't been there in a few years but I remember going there with Kemba. There was one room where it was just paint. You know how you have those gallons of paint? There was somebody there that organized all those gallons of paint and put a swatch on the outside of every can. So you walk in and you go, oh, we need a blue. And this is like all this whole section of blues and greens and reds and whites. They broke it all up because you can't throw a gallon of paint away in New York. It's against the law. You got to dispose of it some weird way. And But people leave them on the street. So guys collect them and bring them to this place. Or... If you're a painter and you end up with 50 cans of paint, you just bring them there and they just put them on the wall and organize them and they give them away. Materials huh. for the art. So you, did you find it? Oh, yeah, I did. It looks like it's a New York thing. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. We have something in Toledo called Scrap for Art. And there is a there might be a slight cost where you like you you just fill up a bag of, of leather or fabric or whatever. And it's going to be a couple bucks that just to keep the, keep the doors open there. And it's a really cool place to get it's all donated stuff from construction and and uh, schools and and whatever. So that's super cool. I'm gonna I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I've never heard of that. I mean, it's it's kind of the same idea as the uh, the restore thing, but probably more broad in the types of materials. I think the restore stuff is often things that are pulled out for renovation or excess material, construction material. So that's cool. I don't know. Um, as far as like just getting materials, that was one thing that I have never really, other than the ones that we've talked about so far, that's never been something that I've had like a really good handle on. Um, you know, like pallets are an option. They're also a lot of work and I'm not trying to like dissuade anybody from doing it, but like you have to realize that when you reclaim materials like that and you, you're working for that, it's not free. I mean, just right. put it that way. Like, people think it's like pallet wood is free wood. It's not. It's like opening um, up a lot of pistachios <laughs> with no crack in them. <laughs> it's a, it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, that works. You ever like work on that one pistachio that doesn't have a crack in it, and you almost swallow it, and you break a tooth, and you're like, "Wow, it's a long way to go for a little peanut." (laughs) (laughs) Worth it? (laughs) No, no, but I I like the analogy. Yeah, so uh, you know, I've never personally had a really good source of uh, of finding you know cheap materials uh, outside of pallets, but then there was a time where that was acceptable amount of work for me to put into something to get some wood. And then it just got to where it's like, I, I just don't have that kind of time or am not willing to put in that kind of effort. Cause it is a huge amount of work, but so I, I would love to know some other sources like that, that are around that people could grab, um, you know, to get some wood or, or not even wood, but other of that type of material. I don't know. Yeah. Something else I suggest, um, uh, don't just look at your home center for, for wood because it can be a, a lot more expensive. Uh, in, in Toledo, we're lucky enough to have a couple different hardwood dealers. We also have a plywood dealer. I mean, I can get I can get a sheet of walnut plywood cheaper than I can get a sheet of Baltic birch plywood from my local home center. So look, look for the specialty stores in your area. If you live in a big city, these places are going to be there. You just might have to look for them. And so... I know my local Home Depot, they sell uh, poplar and they sell red oak, but it's it's really expensive. And you might think that's the normal price, but they only get small shipments of it in and they get the really, really super clean red oak or poplar or maple. And so if you if you find those specialty stores, you might be able to get yourself a really good deal. And even within like the typical lumber yard where you may drive by it and you look at it and it's like construction lumber a lot of those places will have a small hardwood. It's usually like one little slot, you know, where there's hardwood. But I know there was one in Savannah that I didn't go there for a long time because you see trucks pulling in and out of there with just huge amounts of like treated lumber and stuff. But they did have one little kind of column that was all these hardwoods. And they, you know, you had to pick through. You didn't have a ton of options, but there were probably 10 or 15 different species. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot there in that small little area. Um, so don't even overlook those type of places, you know, 84 lumber and stuff like that that might have a little bit. Right. I mean, these uh, these construction crews, they have to have a source to get, I mean, they're, they're, they're getting hired to build cabinets and sometimes they're custom hardwood cabinets. And so... The, they have a source where they're getting their their stuff. So, and it's probably not a big box store. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I'm always surprised when I see construction people who are obviously in like the contractor <laughs> business. When I see them at Home Depot or Lowe's, I'm like, wow, you must have really needed something <laughs> very quickly. Because <laughs> there's got to be way cheaper places for them to get the stuff that they need because they do so much of it. You know, mm-hmm. it's always surprising to me. But what the cool, the funniest place in in New York for years was the Home Depot, which is now, it used to be 24 hours, the one in Gowanus, Brooklyn, and it was crazy. You'd go there, and, and a lot of a lot of Hasidic Jews owned buildings in Brooklyn, and they would all shop at night. So these guys in black costume, you know, black garb, dressed up, and they have wads of cash, and they're pushing a cart with a thousand two by fours on it, and they pay for everything in cash. So I just want to buy like a can of paint at three in the morning. So I'm standing behind these guys that are checking out with giant carts full of material because they all own buildings and they're all repairing their buildings and and a lot of construction guys at night because uh, it's easy to yeah. shop in the middle of the night but it's only those guys so you go and there's guys with carts full 
of material and cash and craziness. But now that it's no longer 24 hours, it was a real odd, fun place to go visit years huh. ago. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, you guys got anything else on this? We're like, we're over an hour. Oh. Cut. No, I think you just got to scratch the surface. That's it. You just got to scratch the surface and, and find a, a local manufacturer of something. And you know that the manufacturer is a byproduct that, that is a great dumpster. You just got to get in there. Cool. Um, well, let me thank our Patreon supporters while you guys find something to talk about. Uh, we've had a lot of new new supporters recently, and that's super cool. So welcome, everybody. Uh, big thanks to our top supporters over there. Wise Old Dow, Evan and Caitlin, Corey Ward, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting, Nick Ryan, Caleb Harris, Maker and Training, Funkist Artistic Creations, and Make, Build, Modify. You got a big list there. That's super thank cool. Thank you, guys. But... Uh, yeah, thank you for the support. It's funny because, like, I know we, we do this on a, on occasion. I'll bring up the same thing. But, like, we do get emails from these companies that are like, hey, we want you to sponsor. We want to sponsor a podcast. You know, it'll be – we'll pay you $10 to talk about our <laughs> video game or our random flashlight on Amazon. All you have to do is talk about it for 20 minutes of your show. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's always Mention so in the beginning. Mention it in the middle. Mention it once at yeah, the end. Right. Three times yeah. before the end of the show. Like Every time lost. you say Jimmy's name, you also have to say flashlight at the end of it. It's that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but it's so nice to just be like, nope, not interested in any of this stuff because yeah. of the support we get from Patreon. So thank you guys. Yes. Uh, it does mean a lot. And if you want to help out the show to, with any amount at all, go to patreon.com slash making it. And everybody that supports there at any level gets the uh, after show, which is just some more of us talking often secret stuff. Do we have any secret stuff today? Anybody got any secret stuff? Mm. I'll try to think of something. I might have something. We'll see. All right. What you guys been watching? I'm going to let Jimmy go. Uh, 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 go. Jimmy, go. Okay, I'll go. Uh, I, I, I want to recommend a, a, a motivational artist named James Victoria. I might have mentioned him in the past, but do you guys know James Victoria? He's, uh, name, look, name look for him on really. Instagram. He's on Instagram and he does YouTube. He does this thing on YouTube. I might have mentioned him over the last few years, but James and I just chatted the other day, so it reminded me of him. Uh, he was a teacher at the School of Visual Arts while I was there, and a lot of my students were his students, and it seemed like he and I were, were in the same sort of getting students into a new creative uh, point, point of view. And James Victoria is one of those graphic designers that is like half fine artist and graphic designer and he does a lot of great motivational conversations answers questions about picking good clients and uh, yeah, getting outside guy. of your comfort zone and he's just putting out a new book called feck perfunction that's his new book and uh i guess you could see what that's like a mix-up of two words perfection being one of them and feck being the first one and so <laughs> check out james victoria on instagram and then if you check out his instagram you could also find him on youtube and He's just a, he just does a lot of good motivational postings. And also, I want you guys to also check out Rory Dirty Smith. He's doing a Halloween zombie kill challenge. So if you want to make a zombie killer tool, and you'll get picked, and, and he's going to pick a winner and everything else. And the cool thing about that is that's how Brett and Red became friends last year. Brett, I think, came in second. Red came in first. Red Smith. And that's how they developed a friendship that's going to last forever. So it's really nice that Rory does something like this that creates a community around a little competition, a friendly competition. And I think I'm going to start my zombie killer tool this week. 
to try and Ooh. join join the crew. Oh. Is that the R2-D2 project you were talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got that. That's on the list, too. That, that might have to wait. Till after <laughs> Halloween. So. All right, David, what you got? Uh, I'm not sure if we talked about her before or not, but I'm going with Handmade with Ashley. She has some oh, yeah. uh, really fun projects on her YouTube channel. The There's uh, some, some 8-bit projects with Super Mario and Rhett and colorful game boards and cutting boards and it's just the there's a there's a playfulness to her projects that i really love awesome we met her in uh, atlanta last year at workbench oh very nice yeah um cool so i we were talking about the rings earlier and it reminded me of a channel that um reached out for a collaboration and we haven't gotten around to it yet but it's really cool and you may be interested in checking it out a guy named patrick adair you ever heard of Patrick Adair? No. He, Patrick Patrick came and hung out with me. He came and spent a, a couple of days with us. We had a great time. Oh, really? Yeah, cool. super, super smart kid. Great, great, very successful channel and a great thinker. He, he just hung out as like an intern for, for two days. We had a great time. Awesome. Yeah, he makes crazy rings. Oh, holy. Crazy wow. rings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, in all sorts of different stuff. So you may want to check it out. Uh, NFC smart ring? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so go check out Patrick. Um, all right, cool. You guys got anything else for this one? Uh, nope. uh, take the take the uh, silence as a no. <laughs> I'm talking to Howard. Just called me. I don't know if you guys heard the phone ring. So no. I just said, say it Jimmy multitask does podcasts and phone calls at the same time. All right, cool. <laughs> That's it for this week. And no, we uh, might we might uh, we, we could do it. I it could for this week. Uh, no, I was gonna say I'm talking with Howard. We might formalize like ten classes for next year. Ooh. Like between like April and September. So that's what Howard and I have been going back and forth. And we have a really cool idea, which I'll tell about in the podcast, about how to give away some of those classes. So In the after show? In the, yeah, we'll talk about it in the after show podcast. Ooh, that means podcast that means patrons get like first go at those. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so. it's it's a really we're developing the concept now. It kinda came up it came up through one of the the, the guys that were at the blacksmith class kinda threw it out there and then we developed the idea. It's going in a good direction. Tell you after. Cool. All right, we'll talk about it in just a second. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. Love you. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.